Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be exploring the scriptures for Easter Sunday, April 4th, 2021. Jesus raised people from the dead during his public ministry. When the time came for him, the Father raised Jesus from the dead. This is good news for us because the Father will raise us from the dead too on the last day, since we are his children as well. For our part, we are called to live like children of God. And when we look at these scriptures, uh, one of the things we'll see in the Gospels in particular is that the apostles just really didn't get it. Uh, they didn't understand the scriptures because Jesus was pointed to throughout the Old Testament, through the prophets, and they just didn't understand the scriptures. And I'm wondering in our own lives how frequently we really don't understand the scriptures. And so with that, I'm going to go with the Gospel first today and then the second reading of the first reading and the second reading. The Gospel is the key here. And the gospel is from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. Uh, and what we'll see here is that to Mary Magdalene and Peter and John, things aren't really what they think they ought to be. So let's look at that. <clears throat> On this first day of the week, Mary of Magdala came to the tomb early in the morning while it was still bark, dark. Pardon me. Okay. Er, the first day of the week. So... Jesus is risen from the dead. So Jesus was in the tomb on Holy Saturday. Jesus observed the Sabbath after his death and was raised from the dead on the first day of the week. Now, this is Mary Mag of Magdalene, who we believe is the one from whom the seven demons were cast out. She came to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark. What we, One of the things we can see here is that at this point in time, the world was still in darkness. Uh, and, uh, and so was Mary Magdalene's mind. She did not, but the interesting thing when we get down here, she, she saw the stone raised, went, uh, removed from the tomb, so she ran and went to Simon Peter. She didn't go in, just as uh, we see at the bottom here, John didn't go in either. So it's, it's interesting. And then the stone, uh, it occurs to me that the stone being rolled away reminds me of Ezekiel 36, 26, where God tells us that he will remove our stony hearts and give us a heart of flesh instead. So in removing the stone from the tomb, it's also reminding us that he's going to remove the stone from our hearts. Uh, so we look at that and we, we wonder what's going on. Uh, so what was she doing? She was coming to... to uh, uh, she was coming to embalm Jesus. Now, we, we already saw in John chapter 12, verse 3, that he had been anointed. So there, there are two steps to the uh, burial process. There was an anointing and then a, an embalming. And in John, remember John chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Mary, this was in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Mary brought a pound of very costly ointment, pure nard, and with it anointed the feet of Jesus, wiping him with them with her hair. The house was filled with the scent of the ointment. Now, so what... What we have here is that Jesus was already anointed prior to his death. And so they, uh, so she ran to them, and we see that uh, what has happened here is she's gone to them. Now, why to them? The to Peter and the one who Jesus loved. Now, that, it's interesting, uh, both in John 13, 22 and 23, and... Uh, we see that the di disciples looked at each other. 
whom he meant when Jesus was talking about Jesus betraying him at the Last Supper. The disciple who Jesus loved was reclining next to Jesus. So this is John. And then in John 18, 15, 16, it says Simon Peter with another disciple followed Jesus. And this is going, when Jesus has been condemned, he's going to uh, the high priest's house. He was, who was known to the high priest, went in with Jesus to the high priest's place, but Peter was outside the door. And so he came and got him. So the other disciple, the one who, who known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. This again is John. So this is, this is who we're talking about, Peter and John, the eldest and the youngest of the apostles, have this some type of affinity that we don't really understand. So she went to the apostles and said, they have taken the Lord from the tomb. Now she's assuming that it was somebody, grave robbers or Pilate's people or the, uh, or, uh, the religious leaders. She doesn't know. But she doesn't realize that it is not any of these people that took Jesus from the tomb rather than, rather than his father. And she said, we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other apostle came out, came out to the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and arrived at the tomb first. So Pete, John is obviously younger. He went down and saw the burial clause there, but did not go in. Okay, so what So what we have here, and the note in the Jerusalem Bible is John 20b says, the disciple acknowledges that Peter has some title to precedence. So he's recognized the seniority and the authority of Peter. When Simon Peter arrived, he went into the tomb and saw the burial clause there. The cloth that had covered the head, his head was not with the burial clause, but rolled up in a separate place. Now, if we look at a, a, a note from uh, Haddock's commentary on the scriptures, which is an old, probably from the 1800s, I'm not sure. He's quoting St. John Chrysostom, and uh, I'm going to just summarize what he says, probably paraphrase it. Christ's body being buried with myrrh, the linen would have stuck fast to the body as pitch, so it would not be it would be impossible to take away the body without the linen cloth. And the reason for that is, uh, if you look at what myrrh is, it's an Arabian gum from the bark of a tree. So it's, it's like a pitch. And the comment there is it's perhaps used to uh, take care of the stench of the dead. So they went there and they saw the burial cloth. The other thing is, why, if it was a grave robber, I mean, even if they could have gotten it without that, why would a grave robber roll up the covering of the face and put it in a separate place. It shows that somebody took a lot of time to do this. It was not constrained by the time or afraid of being caught. So you look at that, <clears throat> excuse me, and we look at that about the burial clause. And if you remember in John eleven forty four, where Jesus called out Lazarus and says the dead man came out, his feet and his house, hands bond was bound pardon me, with strips of material and the cloth over his face. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go free. Jesus didn't have to have somebody come and unbind him and set him free. His father did that. He didn't need to do that. Uh, and and here, what we have here, then if you go back and you look at what really happened in John chapter 19, verse 40, it says they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with spices following the Jewish burial custom. So, They, Jesus was buried like a Jew, would be buried. Now, then the other disciple went in, the one who arrived at the time first, at the tomb first, and he saw and believed. 
they did not yet understand the scriptures that he had to rise from the dead. And if you look at note C in the Jerusalem Bible for this, the evangelist does not quote any text. He means to underline the unpreparedness of the disciples for the Easter revelation, despite the scriptures. And then it gives another bunch of things where you can go look uh, to accompanying scriptures. But they went there. Peter, and in Luke 12, 20, uh, 24, 12, it says, Peter, however, went off to the tomb, running. He bent down and looked and saw the burial claws, but nothing else. Then he went back home, amazed at what had happened. So Peter and John really didn't understand what had happened. But what did what is it that John believed when he saw that it was, he, maybe he just believed that Jesus was gone. I don't know. And now let's take a look at Peter. After, so this has all happened before Pentecost. So let's look at the first reading. And this first reading is from uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 34a, and that's just an introduction. And then 37 through 43 is really the meat of what we're going to look at here. And it, this is taking place at the house of Cornelius. If you remember correctly, Cornelius was a, a Roman soldier or centurion, and uh, he, the, the, the text tells us that he was at least sympathetic to the Jews. And, and Peter and both Peter and Cornelius were praying one day, and Cornelius was told to go send for Peter. And Peter was said, go with some people that are coming to take you to, the, to someone's house. So Peter comes, and Peter is breaking kosher because he's in the house of Cornelius, and he begins to preach. It says, Peter proceeded to speak and said, you know what has happened all over Judea, beginning with the baptism that John preached. So Peter is talking to them. Obviously, Cornelius and the people in his house had heard of Jesus and knew what was going on. So, and if we, we can go back to our, 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 gos, our gospel for this year, cycle B, and if you remember correctly, we had this scripture back in Mark 1, 38 and 39, said when people were trying to get him to stay in Capernaum, and he said, he answered, let us go elsewhere to the neighboring country towns so that I can proclaim the message there too, because that is why I came. He went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So people knew that Jesus was all over the Galilee and he came down into uh, to the other areas. And then if you look farther, also in uh, Luke chapter, or Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it was at this time Jesus was now there in the Galilee, he was baptized in the Jordan by John, and at once he's coming out of the water. He saw the heavens torn apart, the spirit like a dove descending on him, and a voice came from the heaven, this is my beloved son, my favor rests on you. So Jesus had the power, it says here, Jesus anointed with uh, Jesus with the anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, he went about doing good, healing all the oppressed by the devil by the devil, for God was with them. So Jesus had the Holy Spirit descend upon him at his baptism. It's it's noted. Uh, and earlier when Peter is uh, right on this Pentecost day as Peter is preaching, he tells the people that are assembled there, and we see it in Acts 2.22, men of Israel, listen to what I'm going to say. Jesus the Nazarene was a man commended to you by God, by the miracles and portents and signs that God worked through him. He was among you, as you know. And we can also look at Isaiah 61, Verse one, verses 1 and 2, which is a prophecy about the Messiah. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, for Yahweh has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good new, the news to the afflicted, to those to soothe the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, release 
to those in prison, proclaim a year of favor from Yahweh and a day of vengeance for our God to comfort all who mourn. So Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies and Peter is reminding uh, Cornelius and his household of what has happened. Now, an interesting thing here is that <clears throat> because of the whole, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is able to do all these things. What we sometimes fail to recognize in our own time is that both Jesus and the and the devil have power. Of course, Jesus' power is greater than that of the devil. But the power that Jesus has, that Paul uh, Peter is talking about here, is the power to raise up and to release, whereas the power that the devil uses is to push down and put into captivity. And then Peter says, We are witnesses to all he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So he's talking about Galilee, Judea, and in Jerusalem itself. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. This God then... God raised on the third day and granted him that he be visible not to all people but to us, the witnesses chosen by God in advance. So Jesus, Peter again is saying, remember when Jesus was cleansing the temple and they asked him, by what authority do you do this? And Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. He was talking about the temple of his body. So here we have again a reference to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. And we can look at that, and we can find that in Acts. Uh, I don't have it down here. Excuse me. So he was there, and you it, and we can see that it's happened. If we look at Acts 1, 3, and 4, we see Jesus, I think this is right before the ascension, said he had shown himself alive to them after his passion by many demonstrations for 40 days. He had continued to appear to them and tell them about the kingdom of God, while at table with them, he told them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. It is, he said, what you have heard from me, heard me speak about. So he's talking about the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles there. So we, we look at that, and we wonder what's going on. And <clears throat> Jesus was real. They saw him. And if you look at the passage in Luke 24, 40, 41 to 43, he asked for a... He's, he, it's a recount of something similar to what we've, we have seen in that in Luke that says when he appeared it to them in the, the upper room, their joy was so great that they could not believe it as they were dumbfounded. So he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they offered him a piece of grilled fish, which he took and ate before their eyes. Jesus was showing them that he had risen from the dead, that he was not some kind of ghost that was going there. Now, Jesus is there, and he's done everything that he was supposed to do. He, com he commissioned us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one anointed by God, living both living and dead. A couple of scriptures come to mind there. One is in, in uh, John chapter 15, verses, verse 16, uh, and you will hear me quote this one frequently because it, it helps to remind us that when, when we make a decision to follow Jesus, we think it's us. But this one says, you did not choose me. No, I chose you. And I commissioned or appointed you, ordained you to go out and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. So Jesus has chosen us. He chose the apostles. And he told the apostles in the upper room on Holy, the first Holy Thursday night that he had chosen them to go out and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. So it's not fruit that's going to rot if you don't pick it and eat it 
quickly enough, but fruit that will last. And then what does he say? So that the Father will give you anything you ask him in my name. And we do that. I mean, I want to go for, refer back to uh, Psalm 37, verse 4. says that he will make Yahweh your only joy and he will give you the desires of your heart. But that implies that what is in Psalm 37 is that our hearts change to conform to the will of God. And the same thing is saying here, if we, if we bear the fruit, what we will ask for will be to further the kingdom of God, not to satisfy our own wants. So let's take a look at that. It says, to bear witness to, uh, to him, all the prophets bear witness. And Peter and James and John and all of the apostles will bear witness. But, John, but it's not without a price. It, it, in Romans 8, 18 and 19, he talks, Paul talks about that price. In my estimation, all that we suffer in this present time is nothing compared to the glory which is destined to be disclosed for us. For the whole of creation is waiting with eagerness for the children of God to be revealed. And then finally, Peter uh, tells them to, to all the prophets, this all the prophets bear witness, that everyone who believes in him will receive the forgiveness of sin through his name. So Jesus not only fulfills all the Old Testament prophets, but also that those who believe in him. Now, you have to understand that the, the belief is what J, James talks about in, in James chapter 2, that you believe, therefore you act. It's faith without works is death, dead, he tells us. So everyone who believes in him, so there, everyone who acts upon that belief will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. And that is so interesting to us. And if we do that, then we're going to do what 1 John 3, 2 tells us. My dear friends, we are already God's children. What we shall be in the future shall not be revealed. We are aware that when he appears... He sh we shall be like him because we shall see him as he really is. And John also, also talks about that we will love one another. So we're going to change when Jesus comes into our lives fully and we allow him to do what he wants to do. And it's so we need to, to take that into consideration. Oh, I think I just messed up, folks. I used scriptures that were for the uh, for the uh, second reading. Excuse me. So we'll go back and we'll probably repeat those. And in, in Acts three sixteen it says, "And it is the name of Jesus through faith in Him has brought back the strength of this man whom you see here, who you know is." She's talking about the, the cripple that they healed. In Matthew in Acts two thirty eight and thirty nine says, "You must repent." Peter answered, "And every one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus." For the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise that was made for you, your children, and all those who are far away. Okay, second reading is Colossians 3, 1 to 4. And this is Paul's exhortation, and it, it is so interesting what it has to say. And it's four verses. It says, Brothers and sisters, if you then were raised with Christ, seek what is above. What does that mean? If you have been raised with Christ, well, Jesus has the power to raise us out of the uh, bondage of sin and the devil. 
And he's going to do that. And we have to understand that what Paul is talking about. It gives us a hint in Philippians 3, 20 to 21, but our homeland is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transfigure the wretched body of ours into the mold of his glorious body through the working and the power which he has even to bring all things under his mastery. So it's a power of Jesus is going to transform us. It's not what we do. Now we have to cooperate with that power. We can refuse Jesus to work his power in his life our lives, but Jesus is there to do this. And Jesus, Ephesians 2, 6, Paul talks about that, that Jesus, it says that God the Father raised us up with him and gave us a place with him in heaven, in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. So God the Father wants us to be with his, him and his son in heaven forever, and he's made it possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for that to happen. Now, <coughs> excuse me. And the note on this passage in Ephesians says, says here, as in Colossians, the use of the past tense shows that the resurrection and triumph of Christians in heaven is considered as actually existing, whereas the future tense in Romans 6, 3 through 11, 8, 11, and, uh, uh, 7, verse 17 and following, treats it as something that is still to take place. Treating the eschatological reality as really existing is characteristic of the captivity epistles. So Paul is telling us that Jesus has already accomplished this for us. <clears throat> uh, and what, what we have to understand is that we, and Paul puts it in Colossians 2.12, you have been buried with him by your baptism, by which you too have been raised up with him through your belief in God, the power of God. And so do we believe that we have been transformed by what God has done in our lives? Or do we settle for what is second best or third best or just to satisfy our own selfish desires? It's interesting to me to uh, think about what is on above and not what is on earth. And the question is, what do you really want in life? What is it that you're focused on? What are you searching for? What what are you willing to spend all of your energy on? Is it for something that will satisfy you here or for eternal life? And <clears throat> Romans 12, 2, and I'm just going to paraphrase it here, or try to do it from memory, is be renewed in your mind. Be renewed in your mind. And it says it's the only way to know the will of God. And so are you willing to do that? Are you willing to have your mind changed, your thought processes changed? so that you can be what God wants you to be? Or are you willing, Are you wanting to just stay where you are in your misery and, and complain that God isn't doing enough for you? It's, it's a choice that we have to make, and it's one that may be very difficult for us to make. We've got a few minutes, so I'm going to look at the responsorial psalm, and this is going to be a little rugged because I don't have a lot of notes here. And the response is from verse 24 of Psalm 108. 16, 18, says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Uh, why would we do that? That's also, you also see that in uh, Nehemiah 8.10. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Are we, are we supposed to be like the apostles and Mary Magdalene when they went to the tomb, they didn't see their, Jesus there, that they were sad that 
even the body of Jesus had been taken away from them? Or do we rejoice because Jesus has died and risen from the dead to, to save us from the powers of Satan, the powers of the, the, the powers of the world, the flesh, and the devil, the three things that really keep us from following Jesus closely. And then it says in the opening verses from verses one and two, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Israel say his mercy endures forever. If any of you who have gone to confession to Father Charlie Banks know that at the end of confession, he will quote this verse, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That's the message of St. Faustina throughout her life. And if you've read her diary and it's throughout there that Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. We we trust in God's mercy that no matter how how uh, we go about doing things that aren't right, it is there. And it says in the next stand, uh, I think it's sixteen and eight, seventeen. It says the right hand of the Lord has struck with power. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. God's power is there for us to appropriate if we are living in conformance with God's will. And he, even, even though we die, we shall rise again and live forever. And then the last verse is one that we just see, read so many times during the, uh, the year. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord, this has been done. It is wonderful in our eyes. Who is the stone that the builders rejected? Jesus is the cornerstone. They've rejected Jesus. Uh, and so have we rejected Jesus? Are we a builder who rejects the cornerstone of, of all that is good and holy and, and sets us free? Do we accept him as the cornerstone? And in, if you remember correctly, in, in the time of the Jews, the cornerstone was from that point from which all thing, everything else was, was uh, built. It was actually the anchor to the earth for them. Is Jesus the anchor of your life, or do you allow him to go on his way and you go on your way? I think that the, there's a lot here, and if you read all the scriptures, and you read the company uh, accounts in the synoptic docils, you'll, you'll learn a lot. So uh, with that, I'm going to say, let us rejoice this 50-day Easter season. Remember, Easter isn't just Sunday. It goes on until Pentecost. Jesus is, re is a cause for that joy. And remember that if we live in conformance with the will of God, if we accept the power of God in our lives, we will join him someday when we rise from the dead as well. With that, I wish you a very good week and a happy and blessed Easter season. And may you, have a, may you be all that God has created you to be, and may we all do that. God bless you. Goodbye.